This is Limit Up, a trading podcast presented by the performance coaches at Top Step. We discuss futures, forex, stocks, options, history, trading psychology. Basically, if you can trade it, we'll try our best to make sense of it. Now, on to the show. Hello, traders, and welcome to the Limit Up podcast presented by Top Step. I'm Jack Pelzer. And as you might tell from my subpar audio, I'm not in the studio and I don't have a microphone. I'm speaking into my laptop because I'm on vacation, as is Dan. And so instead of our normal format today, we recorded a very special Coach's Playbook interview that features some of your favorite Top Step people, including Mick Aronimo, JD the Dancing Bear Doherty, Hogue himself. And a special guest who's a real uh, legend of the commodities trading world, Miss Carol Zampano. And they have a great talk about commodities, which are all the rage right now, given the inflationary pressures. And uh, also, every time I'm on vacation, something uh, crazy happens in the market. Today, Bitcoin was down 30% while I was out uh, soaking up some rays. So I kind of missed out on all that action. But the good news is... There's a coffee table book here uh, riddled with misspellings, but it says that the Ark of the Covenant of ancient Judaism fame is actually located here on the island of St. Croix. So I'm going to go find that, but if I don't, I'll probably come back next week to break it all down on another episode of the podcast. In the meantime, enjoy the coach's playbook. I'll give you a little something after the break. Welcome, everyone, to the Coach's Playbook slash Limit Up podcast this week. Full disclosure, we'll be taking today's conversation and using it as part of this week's podcast while Jack and Dan are out living their best lives. Uh, so with that, introductions are in order today. With us, we have Mick Aronimo, Top Steps Resident Risk Manager, uh, John Hoagland. Uh, Top Steps lead performance coach, and a uh, very special guest, Carol Jorison, who is a longtime floor trader in the pits of the Chicago Board of Trade. I am JD, and I'll be filling in the fourth square here uh, just to keep things symmetrical. So this week, commodities are on our radar. Prices are rising across the board, and the effects have kind of started to trickle down to consumers. Presently, we're seeing how Historical highs in lumber uh, are kind of affecting housing prices. Uh, we're seeing how oil demand is affecting gas prices. But we really never get too deep into the grain markets around here. So we're going to try and focus on that today. Uh, but before we get started, Mick, how about a funded trader shout out? Sure. Thanks, JD. Big shout out to Sandy Ellis, up $4,600 trading the NASDAQ today. So great job, Sandy. Big day. Boom. 4600 That's a day for sure. Mm. Uh, so we were kind of chit-chatting about this just a few minutes ago, uh, how all four of us kind of have some professional experience working in the grain markets or in the grain room at the Chicago Board of Trade. Mick, you spent some time in the wheat pit where your dad was also a longtime floor broker. Hogue, your old man was a grain trader too. I myself got started as a runner and a phone clerk uh, in the grain room at the Chicago Board of Trade, which is where I actually met Carol. 20 years ago. Can I say that? 20 years ago? Yeah. <laughs> Carol actually 
introduced me to her husband who ran a trading group out of the bond room at the board of trade. Uh, and I ended up working him for him for over a decade too. So that's part of the story. So Carol, your commodity trading career spans what five decades, I'll say. Was that there... might be a push. I think <laughs> four uh, decades. <laughs> started eighties uh, and ended well, I, I think I walked away around 2013, 2014. So a long time. <laughs> Uh, so was the grain room like your first stop or was it? I, you kinda... Yeah. And I kind of stumbled into the career, to be honest. I uh, had graduated from University of Michigan with a degree in economics and moved to Chicago with some friends from college. And I worked at a, a record store back in the day when people actually bought records. Actually, they were CDs back then. No one had records so much anymore. <laughs> but I worked at Rose Records on State Street. And uh, I did not want to get a job at a bank. And as a econ major, I'm like, what the heck am I supposed to do if I don't work at a bank? And I went down to the Board of Trade one day in the observation gallery up above. And I looked down and I'm like, now that looks like a fun job. This is where I want to get a job. And uh, I filled out one I, in the back of the Reader magazine, which was a, like a weekly newspaper about fun that was happening in Chicago. They had want ads. And there was a, a job offer for someone at Collins Commodities, Rosenthal Collins. And I'm like, oh, that's probably where they were trading all that stuff, filled out the application, sent in a resume, and uh, they gave me a job as a runner. So I actually, after graduating from college, only had to suffer through one interview and got a job. So that was nice. Nice. And um, so I was a runner for them in the grain room for just about maybe a summer, a little bit longer. Then they moved me over into the bond room and I was an herb clerk over there putting orders into the 30 year treasury pit, which was the pit back then. The 10 years and the five years and the two years were just little scrawny things off to the side. Everyone was trading the 30 year. And um I kept looking around. I was there for a couple of years. And the more I looked around, the more I realized there were no women in any of the trading pits. But to me, that was where the money and the fun was. So I was determined to find a way into that arena. I was offered a job as an art clerk for two brokers in the 10-year pit. So I took that job. And then there was one company down there that had hired female traders. So I kind of approached that company and said, you know, what do I have to do to get a job trading for you guys? And they gave me a job working there and I worked my way into a pit there. So I traded the 30-year nighttime bond session, option bonds, 30-year um, options for them. And then during the day, I was trading 10-year options on occasion or the municipal bond options for them. And then after a couple of years, the structure of that company was on a regular basis. I think it was every quarter, they would bring you in and give you a bonus based on how well the company did and how much work you were doing. And I had gotten a bonus and I just was completely dissatisfied with it because at that point I was working a day session, the nighttime bond session. I knew the company was making a ton of money and I said, you know, this just isn't going to cut it. I, either need more money or I'm going to leave. And they said, well, there's the door. So <laughs> I left and went to the corn options pit and started trading. And this was probably, I think the early nineties. 
And the green room, you know, I was a little bit familiar with it from previous work. It was a kinder, gentler place than the financial room. You know, the financial room is like young men, super crowded, super aggressive. The options pits in the green room were mostly, you know, some older men, some younger men, but it was more of a, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours kind of atmosphere. So ended up in the corn options pit and ended up staying there for about 25 years. And it was great. That's awesome. I like the textbook start, you know, like starting as the runner and moving your way up. That's uh, that's how everybody dreamed of making it down there. Yeah. And anybody could. Not, yeah. not everybody did. A lot of people knew someone who kind of like, so they got some shortcuts in there, but um, you know. That's where I started too. I started on the Merck floor in 1983 as a runner. Yeah. Yeah. I did, I did do a, a brief stint over at the Mid-America Commodity Exchange. Trade, oh, yeah. Trade, trade a little corn options, a little soybean options when it was in the old South Room, the old yep. Bond Room at the, at the Board of Trade. I was there for probably, I don't know, six months or a year, uh, 89, something like that. So you were in the neighborhood. Yeah, right around the corner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember back in the day, they used to have a smoking pit. <laughs> and uh, the traders would leave the bond pit every now and then and walk over to the smoking pit and have a cigarette, <laughs> which was, you know, nowadays seems absolutely insane. Were there any trades being executed in the pit well, or was it no, just for smoking? Probably. Maybe some <laughs> just an empty pit with an ashtray. You know, sure. a cigarette here and there. <laughs> <laughs> when I started at the, the old Merck, it was, um, it was the, old, the old box on Jackson. And there was a, a yellow line around the floor. And if you were on the other side of the yellow line, you could stand there and smoke. <laughs> Amazing. I think back then you also had to wear um, not just a tie, but I think the men had to wear button downs and shoes. I remember like all the boys, all the men in the green room had loafers on. Mm-hmm. And I was coming yeah. from college and I'm like, why are all these guys wearing loafers and fancy loafers shoes? Loafers and bucks. Yeah. And then by the time I left, it was t-shirts, sweatpants, and a hamburger in your hand. (laughs) No rules, no decorum whatsoever. Like airplane travel, you know, was something you dressed up for and now you wear your pajamas. It's crazy. I think it's incredible that not too long ago, there were still trading firms that were not hiring women based on your story. Did I I catch that right? You had a fine... Honestly, I don't know that it was an overt exclusion of women from the industry. But, um, you know, in the grain room, you would see a lot of girls in the summer because it was their summer job and their dad or uncle or someone they knew worked down there. But I think, first of all, it's a place you don't learn about when you're in college. They don't say, oh, well, you can work at an investment bank or you can work at, uh, you know, Charles Schwab, or you could go work down at an exchange. It's just, you don't really know about it. And then, um, you know, once you're down there, I think for a lot of women, the aggressive full contact sport of pit trading in a crowded pit is probably unappealing. I don't know why it didn't ever bother me, but I was just like, (laughs) whatever, it's fun, you know. But it might just be not entirely appealing. But, and one of the qualities that made traders good back in the pit days was 
Were you tall? Were you strong? Were you big? Could you nudge out your neighbor, you know, so that you're in front of them getting the trade? And, you know, that part of it, obviously, like most women are going to be at a disadvantage for. Um, But I think like the options trading, which was more based on, you know, learning the intricacies of options and, you know, knowing their value and stopping and thinking about what you're doing before you make a market sometimes um, kind of. I don't want to say it slows down the pace of the trading, but it's less of a brute sport and maybe like a little bit more cerebral. So yeah, it takes impulse, takes the impulse out of it for sure. Yeah. And there are, um, you know, by the time I was trading in the green room, there were a few women probably in each of the pits and there was there, you know, um, Virginia who's in the wheat pit um, or was there forever she was always there. And there were a couple, I think someone from the Anderson Farms, uh, John, you probably know the girl I'm thinking of, the woman um, traded in the corn futures pit. Did the Anderson Farms people had some, they had some family members on the trading floor, I think. I'm sure my dad would probably know yeah. and, and remember <laughs> that, but no, it doesn't ring a bell here. Anyway, yes, there were a few women. I mean, there were not companies at the time when I was trying to get into the trading business, hiring women, really. Yeah, it's really changed quite a bit. Well, the trading pits are gone now, so it's mostly just, yeah, prop firms looking for talent, and they nobody cares where it comes from anymore, which is a good thing, right? Yeah. Well, before we get too far off topic, let's get back on the track here. So grains have been on a runaway train for the last couple months, uh, but last week they kind of got smacked with a little dose of reality yeah some selling pressure start came in late monday after a positive weather report came out uh that followed through after the uh usda crop report was released on wednesday the crop report showed that planning progress in corn and soybeans and wheat was either on schedule or ahead of schedule and uh export demand is still pretty strong mick i know you watch those crop reports pretty closely what is it telling you right now or what's your take on it? Well, I actually didn't look at the uh, information from the last, uh, the crop report last week. Um, as you mentioned, you know, it's been many, many months that we've seen, you know, uh, a bull market, um, you know, better part of a year actually in, in wheat, corn and the beans. But no, I, I don't follow those numbers too closely. We don't have anybody in funded accounts trading the, uh, the grains right now. You know, this is the time of year where they're pulling the winter wheat out of the ground and trying to get the row crops like the corn and the soybeans in. So those are the stories. And in addition to, you know, the the production numbers, um, you can the grains are one thing you can follow on a weekly basis too. every Monday. They come out with the, uh, the progress in the planting so you can track, you know, state by state uh, where they're at with what they've gotten in the ground or what they've gotten out of the ground. And you can compare that to previous year or previous uh, five years average. So, you know, for I, my backgrounds in the grains, um, I I think they're fantastic products to look at. And I would love to see, you know, more of our traders here taking advantage of them. Yeah, for sure. Like you said, zero traders in our funded accounts trading grains when they're just moving like crazy right now and also like you said there's so many factors that affect grain prices uh and demand weather rain drought shipping storage there's just a whole lot of stuff Mm -hmm. so carol i'm gonna 
I'm going to ask you a question here. Let's imagine yourself mentoring a young trader just getting started in the grain markets for the first time. In your experience, should they be more concerned about weather reports or a hyperinflation scenario where you know prices double overnight? As you were mentioning, there's a lot of things that are going on in the grain market. And like just for instance, this time of year is tricky because, well, in all of my years down there, the crops always get planted. There's never been a year where it's like, oh my gosh, it's like mid-June and we still don't even have the crop in the ground. But the anticipation and the pace at which things get planted lead up to, you know, these rallies where any kind of weather event or, or disruption causes the market to overreact. But at some point, and it's, you know, difficult to pinpoint, maybe it's when 50% of the crop is in the ground, or maybe it's 40% is in the ground, but the forecast looks favorable, the market will tip over and say, okay, I guess we don't have to worry anymore. The crop will get in the ground. So now all of a sudden you've got a big like knee jerk reaction to the downside. And that's just like one of the type of things that move the grain markets. And like any stock or commodity, you have your, this is reality in this moment, but what are we perceiving to happen in the near future? And those things both affect the price. And some people are looking at it like, well, half the crop is in the ground. So a rain event is great because those crops need the rain. And the other people are saying, well, we haven't even gotten a chance to get our tractor out yet to plant. So it's not good for us. And it's a really difficult couple of, you know, there are times of the year when the grain markets are really skittish and it's hard to judge by what you think are the fundamentals where the market is going to go. And so those times I would say, get out your chart and look at where you've been for the past month, where you've been for the past week, where you are on a daily basis, and then look at the volume of the price moves. If you have a big move up and there's a lot of volume and you're not in a oversold RSI situation and there's move, some room for the rally to keep going, then you know maybe you maintain that trend as your friend type of scenario. and wait for that, whatever it is that, whether it's a chart move that you see or a shift in fundamentals or weather, and then get out of the way and let things happen and then address it again and say, okay, this is where we are now. Um, like the corn, for instance, had a nice rally and then it gave up. And part of it was the fundamentals that came out that shifted, more acreage was planted than they thought or more will be planted production numbers, they were, you know, it was mostly a bearish report. So the market got some big moves down, but it also had some technical things happening on the chart where you could see, all right, they had a big range, then it had an inside day, and then it was like broaching the lows of the inside day, broaching the lows of the big move day. And it's like, if you're long, probably now is the time to get out because it's going to keep going down. And it did. Um, so I don't know that I would tell a new trader in the grains to just start putting a position on. I would say, watch the market, pick one of the main three, like the wheat, beans, or corn, beans being very volatile, but 
pick one of those markets and watch it for a little while and maybe start watching it in January. So come planting season, you have some sort of background knowledge of how that particular market moves, what it likes to do on a given day. And I don't know. It's some part of me also likes to think that all of the commodities are just widgets. It doesn't really matter. You know, if you're looking at a chart and um, you're looking for patterns, maybe you don't need to know all that extra information. Maybe it just clogs things up and makes it more confusing. Just trade what you see. Yeah. The fundamental information does tend to screw things up once in a while, doesn't it? It does because it's also you know, fundamentals come with timeframes. Like when you're talking about inflation, yeah, it's a big thing in the grain markets and, and all the markets. And it does kind of present a new floor for the commodities. Like, you know, that there's this underlying demand and this underlying price action, but you can't wake up on Wednesday and say, oh, they were talking about inflation. I bet the corn market's going to be limit up. It's, you know, it's yeah. timing fundamental news in a day just doesn't really work. I'm happy you mentioned that. I couldn't agree more. You know, fundamentals, they do take a little time to play out into the market. So, you know, you as a day trader who might be in and out, you know, throughout the day, long and short, fundamentals really aren't something that you should be looking at. um, Because I I have had some conversations with people that are trading five minute charts, uh, you know, in and out very quickly. And they're saying, well, they're trading the fundamentals. And what fundamentals are you trading? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's nice to, you know, if you are going to zero in on a particular product, it's certainly nice to have some background knowledge. And you definitely want to keep up with when those things are happening, you know, because, you know, in many of the markets, you're standing there and, oh, gee, at 930, this big report came out and it is going to move the market. And it is a fundamental, but, you know. And it's yep. going over and it's back to your day trade. And we talk a whole lot about knowing the market that you're trading inside and out really before you get started in that market. So great tip. Yeah. Yeah. We used that market for months before you even get into it. Yeah. We had at one point when I first started trading, most of the agricultural reports would come up before our markets even opened. So you would walk into the trading floor and be like, oh, you're a limit up. <laughs> because something happened. So, um, you know, you had to know the night before, am I going to go home with a pretty flat position? Will I be okay? Because I won't be able to do anything. Nowadays, so much as 24 hour a day trading or close to it that, you know, some of those big moves get smoothed out or at least offer you an opportunity to hedge it one way or another. Yeah, with the uh, the 23 hours a day roughly trading, now it's the people that are participating in the meets, the hogs and the cattle that have the, the best hours out there, still pretty shortened. Yeah. How did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Everything else goes 24 hours a day. And then there's those certain little niche markets where, you know, five guys control the whole thing. And it's like, eh, we want to be done at <laughs> one o'clock. One o'clock seems good to us. Right, right. Got to start after breakfast and finish just before lunchtime. (laughs) (laughs) So with all the, these fundamental factors that move the grain markets, what would you, what kind of tips do you have for really sifting through all that noise and the BS to really start to form like an objective bias or an opinion? What would be the best way to, I guess, kind of 
trim the fat and knock out all the stuff that you really don't need to be hearing? Well, there's when it, when it comes to grains, there's always the seasonal price pressures. You know, there's um, you know near the near the beginning of the of the of the the uh, growing season. You know, a lot of the uh, supplies have been sold off or depleted. So that's one thing that you certainly want to keep an eye on. I mean, that was always something that was, you know, everybody had the uh, the calendars that they would hand out on the trading floor and they would have, you know, you get kind of grain seasonal price pressures, which is really the reason why futures are here is because, you know, all the crowd, all the corn in the uh, uh, Midwest is harvested at the same time. You've got a whole bunch of corn by, by, by planting season. A lot of that corn has been used up. I mean, that's one thing, but as far as fundamentals are concerned, even when I was trading the grains at the mid am, the fundamentals were kind of a secondary thought. It was as a day trader, you know, what is the market attempting to do today? Uh, And for me, it's always been, you know, the market profile and, you know, Carol, um, Pete Stottlemyre, Jim Dalton, they were all, you know, on the grain floor. My dad was, uh, was talking to Pete Stottlemyre as he was kind of coming up with the theories of the market profile. So it's always been, I've always been leery of the fundamental information for a daytime day trader. Fundamental information for a longer term trader is probably going to be a little bit more, more important. Like, like Mick was saying, you know, it's, you know, there's going to be a response to the fundamental information, but it may not be the response that you're looking for that day. So just keeping your eye on the market profile to me, uh, you know, with one back eye or ear on some of the fundamental information would be what I would be looking at uh, as far as, you know, trading grains. And I only did that for about a year and a half, year, year and a half, something like that at the mid-am. So it wasn't even a primary market. We're watching what the board, you know, the big board is doing and trying to pick off paper. Was It wasn't, it wasn't like longer term trading. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I agree. And, you know, to what Carol had mentioned, you know, you, need to know the fundamentals just like you know you need to know the top-down approach of your market while you're looking at charts um you know for someone who's looking to get into the grains you you you, it's easy to say that you know the fundamentals do play out in the technicals you know um it's just the way the price action works so educate yourself learn about the grains you know um educate yourself as best you can and then you know know what kind of time frame you're getting into when you are trading and always keep an eye on the technicals. Uh, definitely. I think for someone who's looking to get into the markets, you know, Carol mentioned soybeans volatile. They're, they're priced, you know, quite a bit higher than the corn is right now. So corn might be a good start for anybody who's looking to dabble into the grains at all. I think um, also, and you know, as an options trader, those fundamentals kind of, you know, were, were something that I had to pay attention to because I'm taking positions that I want to see come to fruition. You know, am I long-term bullish this corn market? Should I be buying upside calls? You know, where do I want my future position? What do I want my position to look like when we have this move that might come based on fundamentals? But the day-to-day stuff and the technicals and the charting, and John, maybe, you know, you said you were familiar with the Stoudemire stuff. And I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, John, like, I don't know if you watch the stuff, but I always felt like the grain markets followed technical patterns and predicted outcomes way more consistently than the financials. 
And I don't know why that is, but there were, would be certain patterns that I would look for in the chart. And it's like, if I see this, I know what is going to happen next. And I know it because it always happens. It's like, you know, 90% of the time, the next move will be this. And in the financials, I always felt like it was just a little loosey-goosier where I just couldn't rely on what I thought I knew as much. And in my head, I justified this by saying, I think it's because more of the participants in the grain markets are the older people who learned how to trade some of this stuff by charting it and watching for certain patterns. So it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy where they expect a certain thing to happen based on what they're seeing. And therefore it does because they're making it happen. Um, I don't know if that makes any sense. Does that make any sense to you, John, or am I crazy? It makes perfect sense to me because, okay. you know, in, in, you know, I'm, I trade S and P's. I, I haven't traded grains in quite a while, but there's always focal points. And this was kind of Pete Stottlemyre's idea was, you know, uh, trading is very visual. There are going to be levels that eyes are going to go to. And when mm -hmm. eyes are going to that, it tends to make the market go to that level. So, um, and you know, Stylemeyer's idea was he just really didn't want to inventory trades that were against him. So he was really looking for the changes, the, the, the changes in direction and longer time frame, and as well as in shorter time frame. But there's always particular visual levels that the market just seems to be magnetic towards. And that's, I think, what you're saying is yeah. those were those that were in the know knew if this happened. The, the visual target was here, and when when everybody is thinking that it's going to go to that level, they just tend to make it go to that level. Yeah. I was thinking, um, I don't know if it was, it was one of your previous podcasts I was listening to, and you were talking about one of the biggest uh, problems with traders is overtrading. And I would say because you're telling me that none of your traders like to trade the grain markets. So if they've got an S&P chart in front of them and they're trading that all day, maybe put a little corn chart in the upper corner and start watching it for a week or two, and then maybe start dabbling in it and see if it isn't a friendly place to trade, because I think there's no reason to be afraid of it. They should give it a try. Yeah, just respect the risk and don't be afraid of it. But yeah, because sometimes, you know, people overtrade because they're looking at that chart and they're like, you know, they want to do the next trade, even though it isn't set up for it, even though they're like, eh, you know, they can't, like, Mick, you were talking about someone knocked you on the shoulder one day and they're like, hey, why do you have this position on you? are like, I don't know, you know, because I think it might go <laughs> up or something. Just giving it a shot. Yeah, a lot of people. And I still do this. I'm like, yeah, I want to get long some whatever and put a trade on just because I want to be a part of it, you know, no real reason behind it. And um, I think when you're limit yourself to one product, like I'm going to trade S&Ps, then you are setting yourself up to overtrade because the S&Ps aren't always going to have a trade. It's not always time to trade that market. Sometimes a market chops around all day and doesn't do anything. 
Um, and on those days, maybe take a look at that corn chart you've been watching in the corner and say, you know what, instead of overtrading the S&Ps, I'm going to focus on this for an hour and see if there's a setup over here that works for me. Yeah, I'm so happy you mentioned that. Um, instead of fabricating opportunities, look and seek out opportunities in other places. For sure. This, guys, this was really a great conversation. I'm so happy we did this. So some of our key takeaways today for getting into grains is to be aware of your fundamentals, know your technicals, brush up on your chart patterns, get your levels set and keep a close watch on them. Uh, maybe put that corn chart up in the corner if you're trading the S&Ps. I think that's a great way to do it. When the S&Ps and the NASDAQ aren't moving, don't force an issue. Maybe look for a different market, but get to know it a little bit before you start trading it. You don't want to do anything stupid right right out of the gate, right? And I think there should be good opportunities this season because you have the underlying fundamentals that are giving you a bullish story. Mm. And, you know, you've got the weather and the planting and the harvest and lots of fun stuff coming up. So show of hands, is, uh, is $17 corn and $30 beans crazy? Oh, oh, oh. I don't know. I'm going to say it's not crazy. That would be double. <laughs> $17 corn? <laughs> $17 corn is outrageous. They said uh, oil at negative, uh, what, $40 a barrel was yeah, uh, outrageous also. So. <laughs> yeah. now, I don't disbelieve that anything is possible, but right. if, if we're going to $17 corn, I'm buying a whole bunch of for frosted flakes right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was great, guys. Thanks again. Hogue, Mick, always a pleasure. Carol, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, looking forward to uh, our next conversation also. I wish this was live. I really wish this was live. Next time, we'll get it up live. Yeah, Carol, this was so nice having you on. Thank you for joining us. You're welcome. It was fun. Maybe too much time going down memory lane, but you got to do it every now and then. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, Hogue, you want to take us home? Sure. Um, I was going to do a, a quote. In Danny's absence, I'm going to do a quote. I don't even know who it is, but I like it. Zeal without knowledge is fire without light. Just talking about getting to know your markets, getting to know the markets, the patterns, the technicals, and the fundamentals. Get to know them. On that note, let's get out there and profit. Trade well, everyone. We'll see you next time. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. Uh, I still, unfortunately, have not found that Ark of the Covenant, uh, but maybe I don't want to find it because I think in Raiders of the Lost Ark, it uh, melted faces if you open it up. So I'm trying my best to avoid that, although I have racked up a pretty uh, gnarly sunburn. But either way, we'll be back next week with a brand new episode where I imagine we'll be talking about the latest uh, Bitcoin fiasco, among other things. But you know what? I'm on vacation. It's almost the weekend. It's time to sign off, people. Namaste and trade well. Limit Up is presented by Top Step and produced by Dante32. Futures and Forex trading contain substantial risk and is not for every investor. An investor could potentially lose all or more than their initial investment. Risk capital is money that can be lost without jeopardizing one's financial security or lifestyle. 
Only risk capital should be used for trading, and only those with sufficient risk capital should consider trading. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results.